now I'm at the point in my writing, like if I read a scene and I don't forget that I wrote it and like feel sad or feel completely bereft, especially a sad scene, I realize I haven't done enough work there yet. And I have to go back and like figure out the way to like manipulate the senses and the language so that it feels sadder and heavy. That's kind of, I think one of the things that we don't realize as writers is like, you have to, you have to make the words good enough so that you forget you wrote the book and it just feels like a book that somebody handed you. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. Justina Ireland is a veteran, novelist, and the former editor-in-chief of Firelit Magazine. She is the author of books such as Dread Nation, Deathless Divide, and is one of the core Star Wars High Republic authors. She is a vocal advocate for diversity, and it shows beautifully in her writing. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing podcast. I'm your host, John Robinson IV, and with me is Justina Ireland. Hello. I'm I'm here. (laughs) 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 The world's crazy, right? Like it's it's kind of it's 2020. Like I mean, I think that's all needs to be said. It's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) One day our children will look back in this year and they'll be like, How did you survive, grandma? You're like, I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. And I and I'm one I'm like, man, like, is it like, I don't, why is it, I mean, is it significant because it's like, you know, a, 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 a funny year name, 2020, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's just. I think it's because we don't have flying cars yet. I feel like. Right. Thought, <laughs> <laughs> 2020 was going to be the year for like flying cars. So. Oh, yeah. All, all the, all the future things that we predicted are, yeah. are, are not quite travel. here. Uh, well, some things are here that we didn't yeah. expect, but yeah. other, other yeah. things are, you know, I mean, the smartphone is a pretty huge innovation. Like That's true. That's true. Everybody's using the internet primarily from their phones now, which is, which is crazy. Um, yeah. Overtook a couple of years ago, the regular computer. So, uh, I mean, yeah, we got some kind of technological advancements here. I mean, we still don't have Androids walking around, which is probably for the better. Otherwise, I was going to say, with that like you guys got like, like they got those uh those dog robots and i'm like nope oh yeah those are creepy <laughs> i was like did you not see black mirror like or, do they not have tv where these people are right like, no. yeah those yeah. those are creepy <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm okay to wait for a few more years to uh welcome my robot overlords so right but right like, right right <laughs> so uh <laughs> as we as we do usually when we when we open up these podcasts is um usually get on and, and talk a little bit about uh, what the creator has uh, has worked on and how and how they get into their process. If you guys don't know, you should know. And and I'm sure you heard it in, in my intro blurb that's at the beginning of every episode. Uh, Justina is the writer of uh, Dread Nation and Deathless Divide, um, which is excellent. Basically, I, I define it as uh, Black women killing zombies and racists. I mean, I don't know if that's the best. <laughs> that's the way I took it, and I and I and I and I dug it. Like, like I was, I was, I'll, I'll get into my diatribe about how much I, I like the story later. But, uh, 
but we'll, well, first of all, we'll, we'll go into um, kind of the writing process. And I mean, like when you sit down at your computer or with your tablet, or even um, if you use just pen and pad, like what's, what's that initial process of getting in the mind state of writing and then actually doing the work? Yeah. So um, I am, I am a chaos I am, I am like, like a chaos vector in like both my real life and in my writing life. Cause I probably don't ever really do it the same way twice. Um, I tend to, depending on the project I'm working on, move it around. Like, you know, sometimes I'll write in the morning early. Um, well, I write full time now. So like before I wrote full time when I was still working, I always wrote early in the morning. I would get up at like four 30 and like get a cup of coffee and like write for an hour, hour and a half until it was time to like get, you know, my kid and my husband up and get everybody ready for like work and school and get myself ready for work. Mm -hmm. um, but now as a full-time author, what I found is I still only really write for like that two, two and a half hours a day. It's just that time moves around depending on the project. Some projects just feel like they do better in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, and I tend to like to work on two projects. I tend to like to be drafting one and revising another. I don't want to be writing um, two drafts at the same time. Um, I have, and I am right now actually, but it's not my ideal situation because I, I, I like to have like projects at different points in the process. So like when I sit down, I usually I make sure I either have a cup of coffee or um, sparkling water. I really like, I am, I'm one of those, those basic people who likes like, like <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had to like give up soda like a few years ago. Cause it gives me, cause like, there's like, you know, you, like you hit 40 and your body all of a sudden like rebels against you. And so like I used to drink a soda or like diet soda. And now like my belly is like, no. So I usually have like a sparkling water or something. Um, and I just like, like I sit down and I like, usually put on music. I'm a, I like to listen to music when I write. I'm not like a person who writes in silence. Mm -hmm. um, I try to just take like that first song, on, like a playlist. I make playlists for usually each project. And I try to just take that first song and let, let it like get me into the story. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a draft where I have something that I've already written, I'll go up to like what I wrote the day before and kind of like go through it. Not necessarily edit it, but just kind of to remind myself where I am. And then I just kind of like sit for a moment and envision the scene because I think it's really important to take the time in your brain to like move through the physicality of a scene right and understand because like sometimes when you're writing you're like oh it's gonna be really funny if this character says that but mm -hmm. like why are they saying that and where are they when they say that and like if you get ahead of yourself when you're writing like my brain moves way faster than my my hands type and so like I tend to like want to like give myself like a fully formed brain picture before I start writing and then I go through and then I, I usually, I don't necessarily just like type straight through. I usually type probably, uh, I would say probably 250 to 300 words. And then I'll think of something and I'll go back to the top of that section and like add in some details and I'll just go through a first draft like that. So like my first drafts are not like, it, they're complete stories, but they're not good. Like <laughs> they're, not, they're not like something I'm going to hand my editor and be like, I'm brilliant. Um, it's usually like, it's usually um, some, some blocking of the scene, which is like just, telling people where the characters are. Uh -huh. um, it's usually a lot of dialogue, a lot of characters like, you know, expressing their feelings and their emotions just through dialogue. None of that kind of internal or interiority that we expect with a character. Um, and it's usually just like a lot of times with the action scenes, I will just like leave myself a note and I'll be like, hey, this is going to be an awesome space battle here. And then I right. just kind of go <laughs> and I might like, if I feel inspired, I might like actually write something out. But I tend to like to do that on the second pass through because 
I like to take time to actually go into like the blocking of like blocking out fight scenes is incredibly difficult um, Mm -hmm. because you have to like, like fight scenes and sex scenes. Like you have to know where everybody's hands are and you have to know where everybody's (laughs) body parts are. And like, then you have to have a reaction. Like if somebody gets punched, like they have to react to being punched, right? You can't just like, they punched them and then they ran away. Like they they punched them and their fist, you know, sank into the soft fleshy middle of their body. And, you know, they're like, why am I punching my best friend? Like there's all this kind of stuff that has to come through it. So I tend to save those um, for when I'm either feeling like really inspired or at the end when I'm revising, because then I have no other choice. after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel, I feel like, um, do do you, do you feel like, uh, um, fight scenes and sex scenes are like a, a second draft kind of thing, or maybe not, maybe not if it's not a full second draft, maybe like a 1.5 draft kind of a thing. I do. I think cause second draft tends to be feelings, right? right, right. My second drafts tend to be really relationships and like how the characters relating to one another and like why they feel that way. And like making sure that there's enough um, build up throughout the story that those relationships make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I can put those relationships in the story as I'm doing a first draft, but usually as I go through a first draft, even if I've written a synopsis, I don't really get into the character until like I'm in that moment. And then I'm like, Oh shit, I need to come back and like, make sure that this actually makes sense. Like they can't just be mad because you're mad. Like there has to be something. (laughs) Anger is like an anger and love. And are one of those things that kind of have to start like really like much sooner than when the reader sees it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like people talk about insta love and insta love is only because you didn't give the reader enough buildup to that emotion, right? Like yeah. we don't, most people don't, most people, unless it's a reality TV show, most people don't fall in love. Like in the first five minutes they meet somebody. No. Right? Like, <laughs> you're like, where are you from? I'm also from Buffalo. I love you. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really work. And right. so like, <laughs> you have to like give the, the reader like that, that lead up, that nice, you know, uphill climb on a roller coaster. Like, can you like, a few years ago, remember they were, everyone was building those roller coasters where like the drop was the first thing. Right. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but those roller coasters are totally anticlimactic after that drop. Right. Right. And, you're like, Woo! and then you drop and you're like, Oh, now I'm going to twist around for another 20 seconds. That's like, <laughs> some parts already over. So you want to make sure a book, like, otherwise people will like quit your book on like halfway through. They'll be like, Oh, I got what I need out of this. They're in love. Okay, whatever. It's going to be fine. And exactly. Like, it's the, it's the journey. Like, you gotta, yeah. you, you gotta go through that journey to, to kind of get people um, invested in the characters, invested in the characters' emotions, you know, why they feel like they're feeling. Exactly. Um, and I think, I think people, I think when you're writing the first draft you write, you're telling yourself that story. So you mm-hmm. have to tell yourself that story before you can tell somebody else that story. So for me, right. like first draft is just getting things down, just like kind of roughing out like my landscape, like giving myself like some you know boundaries to work towards and some goals and then I go back to the beginning and I do it all over again. And hopefully this time better. Um, <laughs> like nobody sees anything from me unless it's like a second or third draft. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it's just a, a, first, a first draft is just so rough. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And, I, and I think it should be that way. I mean, one of the, one of the things I said in, on uh, the first episode of the podcast is that like your, your first drafts suck. I mean, in general, yeah. like it's just, it is okay to like, they're kind of supposed to like, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying nobody ever writes great first drafts. I'm sure there's people out there that like write like an amazing first draft. Just they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to sound cool. They're, they're lying. Right, right, right. <laughs> but like in my opinion, I'm like, I mean, it kind of has to suck because it has to be raw. 
right? It has to, because you have to get that, that organic uh, feel of your story out before you polish it up and make it, uh, you know, make it uh, consumable for, for your audience. You know, yeah, um, I mean, like, like, I don't understand. I don't know anybody, for example, who has a dinner party and the dish they cook, it's the first time they've ever cooked it. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that's yeah. A <laughs> disaster, right. Like I've never made this beef Wellington before, but I'm going to make it tonight when I have 10 people coming over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds unrealistic. <laughs> it sounds like a sitcom setup, right? Like, right. It's like, and so like, I think that's what like, like, as writers, and I especially, I especially think as a writer in the modern age, like I think writing right now is very incredibly difficult because the first thing we do as writers is we go on Twitter and we find other writers so we can talk writing, right? Because like, unless you um, happen to be married to a writer, not a lot of us have writers in like our immediate circle. Like I don't, I don't, my, my writing friends, like all live in other places. Right. right. And so the first thing we want to do is reach out to other writers. Cause like, holy crap, I want to write books how do I do this? Let me talk to other people who are writing. And once you step into that social media area, it's so hard because all you see is I got a book deal. I got an agent. Yep. I my, you know, my book. Oh my God, I hit the list. And so you're like, shit, I'm behind. I need to do it faster. <laughs> like, everybody else is already at the party and I'm still getting dressed. Right. And so like, I think it's like, it's really hard for us to sometimes realize that like, you have to slow down. Like you have mm-hmm. to slow down and give yourself time and space to tell that story to yourself first. Mm-hmm. Give yourself time and space to tell that story to yourself again, but better. And then maybe like go out and start showing it to people and sharing it and realize that it's not a race. Like, because the only thing that matters at the end of the day is a good book. It's a good, it's a good story that you wanted to tell. And like a bad book is forever. Like a bad story of, like that, that you've shared with folks. Mm-hmm. It, you can't unring that bell. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like seeing your sister naked, right? You can't get that out oh, of your face. It's <laughs> horrible. Yes. You're like, damn, I should have like just knocked. Like, <laughs> and so I think it's like, it's one of those things like you really, really have to like just slow down and like take mm-hmm. the time the story needs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, honestly, that's some of the best advice. I think um, it's a writing is a long process and getting good at writing is a long process. I mean, I, I remember when I first, I've been writing for 10 plus years now. And when I say 10 plus, I mean, I've been writing for longer than that. Obviously there's like, yeah. you know, you had to write a paper in high school, whatever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but like, um, or God dang it. I'm freaking getting old uh, that was college <laughs> ten, 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 10 years ago I was just getting out of college but uh no um but uh but yeah obviously I've been writing for longer than that because you know you, you I'm sure then fifth grade you, you some the teacher told you to write a story or you know something like that a narrative story and blah blah but I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm thinking about when I made the conscious decision that okay I want to write and I want to write well you know I want to write stories that people can actually connect to how do I do that that I, I have like a, actually as 2020, I think it's about 10 years. And even going through that process and I see the different stages and things that I learned throughout the process, I'm kind of like, all right, so I figured this out, kind of, mostly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I and then I move on to this, this other concept or how do I, okay, I figured out 
theme a little bit. I mean, theme is kind of one of those elusive things that I don't think anybody ever figures out. But I, but mostly I've kind of figured out how theme works. And it's like, okay, now working on a character. And then there's points in time where you try to work on how to make your descriptions prettier or whatever. And, you know, so there's like these different stages you go through um, before you're, you, you feel like you're producing something that's good. And you may, you may, you may already be producing things that are good, but of course you being you, you're going to always criticize your own work, <laughs> you I know? Think, yeah. I like, I hope, I hope. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, like, you're, like your own work. Yeah. What, what's the, what's the, what's the phrase or the, uh, I think it's, you're always your, your own worst critic, I think. Yeah. Like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But I, I but I think that part of that process is being able to go through those stages to see when, you know, oh, I see where I'm better now than I was before. But if you don't give yourself the time because you're, you know, you, you decide on Monday that I want to write. And then on Monday afternoon, you're on Twitter talking to, all, you know, all these writers who are publishing books. Then, yeah, I can see how you can get quickly discouraged because it's such a long journey ahead and you don't have any groundwork behind you yet. Because I felt like that at the beginning of the road, you know, um, when I think yeah. like 10, 10 years back or, or what have you. Um but yeah, yeah, it's I, I I think I think a lot of it is a learning process. When you're when you're writing, do you usually um um do you write like when you're not at the desk? <laughs> and what I mean is like yeah, like in yeah. your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly what you mean. yeah, a lot of my writing is done when I'm not at the desk, which is also part of the the important part of stepping away from the desk. Um, my mm-hmm. best writing is done when I'm either like I try to like get outside and either walk or run every day. Mm-hmm. And some of my best writing is done then and then also in the shower and then mm-hmm. also when I'm driving, like when you're just doing those Mondays yes. that require like, no, like I, I mean, obviously people are like driving, pay attention to the road, but like, no, literally. Nah, like, you, yeah, you zone like, out on the road, especially <laughs> <laughs> I live in Atlanta and I, I, I highway, <laughs> like I'm going to get in this lane that the trucks aren't in and I'm just going to go. Right. And, like, um, like, yeah, I think it's like, because like, Honestly, even after you, I finished a first draft, I'm still thinking about the story and making sure that all the pieces that I wanted in the story are in the story. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's an idea that like revising is just like moving words around and cleaning up sentences. Like for me, revising is rewriting. Yeah. Like it's making sure that the, the the scenes are in the right places. It's making sure that like I mean, like every single time I revise. Um, I'm adding scenes. I'm, I'm taking away conversations that no longer like make sense. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm fleshing out those details. I'm adding more details. I may be changing the setting. Maybe like I have like characters having a conversation in one place. I'm like, actually I need this conversation to happen later and it should happen in this different place. And so I need to add something in there to stitch that together. And I think that's like the, like you have to, this is why it's so hard to finish a project because if you're going only on excitement alone, that excitement is like gone halfway through the first draft. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, before like, that, sometimes yeah, in the first yeah. chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, giving people the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, maybe they're not as flighty as I am. But like, it's really like, I always, like writing a book is, it's a relationship. And as you learn more about a person, sometimes you're like, you know what? I don't want to be here. Like, <laughs> like this is not, this is not where I wanted to be. And sometimes books are like that. Sometimes you're like halfway through a book and you're like, something went wrong here and I can't figure it out. And I need to backtrack and figure out where was the last place I liked it. And then mm-hmm. usually that's when you realize, and those, those quiet moments, those moments where you're just like, 
you know, living your life and thinking about the project, that's where I always have those discoveries. Of right. like, and like, it's also good for me because it gives me an idea of what I need to be working on next. Um, like exactly. deadlines, sometimes I don't have that luxury, but if, if it's my own stuff and I, and I have enough time, I don't necessarily want to work on the, the next book. That I, like I might get 30,000 words into a book and say, okay, you know what? I'm not ready to write this yet. I'm not ready emotionally. I'm not ready as mm. like a writer. Like I can't, I haven't like figured out how to work these certain scenes yet. So I'll go work, work on something else. Right. And I think as long as you know that you, you're going to eventually come back to the project, that's fine. I think for a lot of folks, they get to that point and they're like, nah, I'm done. Like, <laughs> I'm going to go do this other thing. <laughs> said, right. 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 Yeah. I, I think, I mean, honestly, like when I'm, when I work on a, uh, I can't see myself just like leaving a project and never coming back to it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's just always a, there, it, it will have its time kind of a thing. Um, but I, I feel very much the same as you about the, about the revising process. It's like rewriting and it's so much more, I mean, I don't know if you have this feeling, but I feel, I feel so much more confident in a, re, a revision or a, or a second draft. Because when I'm writing a first draft, I'm always like, why do I even do this? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. but the like second draft. Yeah. Forever and the, ever. You're like, this, this is, <laughs> I'm not doing this right. This was, right. This, is this hard last time I did this? Yes. It's always that hard. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's kind of like, I, I just can't make these words come. But then whenever I write a first draft, whether it's a chapter or a whole book or a section of a book, whatever. And then I come back to it and I, and I look at it. I feel so much more like, oh, wow, I actually had something here and I got something to work with now. You know what yeah. I mean? I I've, like this is now it's like the revisions are always funner for me than the first yeah. draft because now know. it's like yeah. it, you're no longer looking at the uh, at the blank page. Now you've got stuff to work with and you just got to rework it or, or, or what have you. <laughs> No, I mean, it's like the difference between trying to grow a tree and trying to like just chop lumber and make, make a bench, right? They were like, first mm-hmm. I have to grow the tree. And you're like, am I growing this tree, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm growing something. It takes this a long time tree. to grow the tree. It takes a long time to grow a tree. <laughs> like, okay, cool, now I have some lumber. I'm going to make a bench. Like, and so I think it's, I think it's, that's one of the reasons, like, um, I feel like people never give themselves enough time for a draft, like a, a draft from scratch, like not a revision, but like a draft, because like I can revise a whole book in probably a couple weeks, like because like because I, I, I can work on it longer. But like right. drafting for me, like after a couple hours, I'm like I feel like I have been wrung out and hung out to dry because I'm just <laughs> like I've given in all of my brain efforts for like that time with with the screen and to the mm. point where I'm just like, I don't know why these characters doing this. I hate them. They need to go away. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just like, it gets yeah. So drafting is incredibly difficult. My dream is to find somebody who will just write first drafts and then I can <laughs> come in and revise them into the story I want it to be like, like I'm <laughs> Patterson does now. He's like, go write my first drafts and I'll come back in and, and make it sound like, like a James Patterson book. Right. Um, right. Because, yeah. First drafts are so hard. They're just yeah i i think do you do you ever have the uh the uh or, or do you or do you or, or rather are you a believer in the concept of writing even when you don't want to write <laughs> especially so, in that first draft phase yeah. i okay so i will tell you there is the creative answer and there is the i work in publishing answer right and i will say if you have aspirations of paying your bills with publishing money then you have to learn how to write when you don't want to write. 
Right. As a creative, I prefer only to write when I want to write. Gotcha. Um, I feel like my drafts are much better. I feel like I get a cleaner first draft. I get, I feel like um, the story is overall better for it. However, bills are bills. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my bank isn't like, oh, sure, hold off on your car note. We'll wait till you're inspired to pay it. <laughs> so I think if only. <laughs> yeah. I think if you have aspirations of like being a full time writer, um, mm-hmm. even if you're gonna write like do freelance stuff, you have to learn how to work when you don't wanna work. Right. Um, and like I like for like for me that's part of like the sitting down and like giving myself a minute to listen to some music and adjust. It's just like the the grown up me telling myself, Okay, it's time to get to work, Justina and then, you know, my kid version going, I don't wanna. <laughs> and me going, we got bills. And my kid version going, oh. <laughs> like, I think that's like, I think that's, and I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the hard part to like get across to people is like writing, like it's always satisfying, but mm-hmm. it's not always fun. Um, exactly. And I think, I think like if you, I mean, like I, like, I always advocate for people, especially people who are like, I'm having trouble being productive just give themselves like a regular time every day just sit for like 30 minutes i know a lot of people are like do an hour but i think an hour is like a really long time (laughs) Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. um but i feel like for 30 minutes like i feel like you can do anything for 30 minutes right like you can go and do like like a a workout video for 30 minutes like you can endure Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes and so i always just recommend like sit at your computer for 30 minutes open the word document you know or scrivener or whatever you use and just sit there with it like turn off your internet because you're not going to go, you know, just 30 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes. That's it. And sometimes right. having that, like that 30 minutes every day, at that same time gets you to, so you're more productive than you think you can be. And then if you feel great after 30 minutes, then do an hour. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's a huge difference between um, writing before publication and post publication. And I think one of the hard things that um, especially aspiring writers don't, do is understand that difference understand that no one's going to show up to your house and yell at you if you don't finish a book you know with your your self-imposed deadline um on the other side of that publication line there are contracts and there are like ramifications that happen if you don't finish on time mm-hmm. so like if you i mean like it, it just depends on what you aspire to do i like, right. there's there's no shame in like saying hey i'm going to write and i'm going to be a, a writer but i'm not going to do it as it make my living i'm going to continue to be an accountant um, because like I did that for a number of years. I did that for a number of years until I was finally to the point where I was like, okay, I think I can make the jump. And I think like I can do this like as a job, not just, you know, where I had that, those muscles and that um, rhythm and uh, routine where I could like sit down and write and produce a little bit every day. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I never, I never really thought about, well, I have thought about the needing to write <laughs> if, yeah. if you got to pay your bills, <laughs> but I never thought about the difference of of, of forcing yourself to write. Um, you know, uh, prior to having uh, be a, you know the primary uh, your primary job or your yeah. primary money, your primary income <laughs> versus uh, you know versus beforehand when you when you work at a nine to five or wherever you work or wherever else you do. Um, and, and writing it in because I'm very much of the mindset like I, I guess I tend to tell people that I think that you should write even when you don't want to at least sometimes but mm-hmm. when I but when I think about it like over time yeah. I've, I've, come, I've come to the conclusion but that, that can't always be the case because there's you know some sometimes there's just there's just going to be some times where you just can't or where you're just really not feeling it 
and you're just not going to produce anything good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I think that's, I think even like, even for me, there are days where I sit down and I just do that 30 minutes where I mm-hmm. sit down at my computer and I sit there and I say, okay, I got to, I got to write something. And like, I write maybe like 200 words and that's it. And yeah. I'm just like, okay, well I'll try this again in a couple hours. And in a couple hours, I'll do it again, try it again. Um, and then some days, like there are some days, even as a, you know, as a, as a writer who like pays their bills, you know, as a full-time writer where you just don't have very productive days. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and that's, and that's, I think that's okay. Like, I think it's just, it's, it's the aggregate of what you produce. And I think, you know, there's days where I produce like way more than I need to, because it's like, things are just moving along. And I know that the next scene and the scene after that, and I have like that good mental picture of what has to happen. And so like, I try to like, just bounce those out. But I do think it's, I think it's important to like, give yourself the opportunity to write every day. Um, not so much write every day. If that makes it any sense. Right. No, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah, because that, that's that's the that's the most common writing advice is write every day, and it's yeah. like you know sometimes. <laughs> I, I mean, even like I don't know anybody who writes every day. To be honest, like mm. I don't know even like like full time authors and even people who are like I write every day. There's still days where they're like I write every day, and now I'm deleting all you know two thousand words I wrote, wrote yesterday because they're not what I need. Like, and they just mm. really suck. Um, and I, think, <laughs> I, I think that's like I think I think honestly that as Americans living in a capitalistic system, I'm a little bit of a soapbox, but I think we're too hard on ourselves in a lot of ways and not hard enough on ourselves in other ways. Like I think, I think we've put too much emphasis on the work and not how the work impacts other people. And I think that's really like the, the biggest thing. It's like, if you are working a full-time job and you have a family and you're also trying to write, something's going to give. And I think it's important to understand that, like, you don't want to be the person who spent, you know, 15 years trying to get published and missed your kids growing up or didn't take enough walks with your dog or, you know, like, never got to read that book that you meant to read for, like, 10 years. So I do think it's important to realize that those other things in our life that aren't writing also helps our writing. So we have to be a little kinder to ourselves when it comes down to time to sit down at the desk and write. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the kind of society you live in really does have a huge impact on, on the way you approach things. Um, and uh, America being super capitalistic and super, super work, 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 you know, you got to work, work, work to, to produce. And, you know, we, we kind of overdo it in that way. Um yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing we don't think about with creative fields. We think, you know, we're like, well, we're being creative. It's, it's not work, but it is work, right? It's still yeah. work. Um, even if it's satisfying work, it's still work. And so we need to treat it as such. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody's trying to go run like 20 miles every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, even like marathoners are like, I do maybe one long run a week. So right. like, like we should treat writing the same day, same way, excuse me. Like you should, you should know that sometimes like, your brain just needs like needs a respite and just, just, it's okay. It's okay to take those breaks. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's get in, in a, a little bit into the, the, you know, the how to, um, um, earlier you mentioned like writing in the, you know, kind of like I, mean, I asked about writing in the car or the shower or the, or yeah. when you're writing or something like that. Um, cause I do very much think a lot of writing is conceptualizing a scene in your head. And usually those moments when, 
you, know, you can't do anything else uh, are, the, are the moments that uh, your, your mind can kind of naturally fall into that creative space. Um, so I'm wondering uh, if, if a lot of your writing is planning oriented, like do you do uh, outlines and, or, and stuff like that? Uh, maybe story or character Bibles, or is it more of you conceptualize it and are able to, I guess planner, the, the planner versus uh, answer question. <laughs> uh, I'm a planter at this point in my life. <laughs> um, yeah. just because so much of what I do, um, like I have to have an uh, outline or synopsis turned in beforehand. Um, however, I always look at a synopsis as a guideline um, because I try to just break out those big scenes that I know have to happen. Um, and things always change and shift around. So like, um, like with writing the star Wars, you have to get, um, obviously your outline and your synopsis approved before you write it, because you have to make sure that you're like not telling a story that somebody else is already telling or like that doesn't like go along with like, you know, overall canon because sometimes, you know, sometimes we get a little overzealous and we're like, and then they're going to catch on fire. And they're like, okay, well, no, like <laughs> this is cause science doesn't work that way. Um, and so like, it's nice to have like that outline. However, when it comes time to write, I'm still conceptualizing as I go along. And so a lot of times my synopsis or outline is the same in broad strokes, but at the grassroots, you know, where the rubber meets the road kind of level, it's very different. Because I really like that discovery of writing through a first draft and like getting to know the characters and, and like putting them in, in situations that like push them and like, have them make those like maybe unpopular decisions. And so that's one of the things that, that usually happens um, with both dread nation and deathless divide. I wrote myself a synopsis for the sequel because I had to f- go back and figure out what happened in the first book. Because it took yep. me, like, that was, like, <laughs> it was like the hardest book I ever had to write thus far because I didn't necessarily want to go back to that world. Cause it's a, it's a really hard world to, to, to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, there's like, like a ton of research that has to go along with it. So right. I wrote myself a synopsis for deathless divide and then followed none of it. Um, so <laughs> there's like maybe five scenes in there that like are the same. And I wrote that for myself so I could force myself to start writing because I, I just kept, putting off that book which is why it took so long and, you know usually publishing like a year between books um and now it's two years between those two books because it, it was just like it took me a year to like psych myself up to go back into the with those and then not because i don't love the characters because i do but just because it's a hard world to live in and it's like it is like, yeah. it's yeah i mean like in like i tend to like to read to kind of escape um like i don't like i don't mind reading about like racism and stuff like that but i've learned that like especially in 2020 reading about like injustice and racism, like takes me to like the rage point, right? Like, <laughs> right. like, right. Where I'm, like I'm going to get a Molotov cocktail. And I'm like, Firebomb. <laughs> like, like, something. And then my husband's like, what are you doing with all this vodka? And I'm like, Oh, I got my job. I'm going to drink it. That's what I'm going to do. Right. Right. Um, so like, like, so like I have found that like, I have to like, kind of like back down. Like I have, like I watched Watchmen this year, which is probably great because I got to watch it all at once. Oh and man! Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like that first episode. I was just like so so mad and mm-hmm. so sad. And my husband's like, "Do you want to watch another episode?" I'm like, "No." Like I gotta, I gotta like take a moment to process it. Right. And so sometimes writing books is like that too. And so that you're like you write a scene and you're just like. 
I need a moment away from this project to like process what I have to write next. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deathless Divide was like that. And it was just like, it was, it was also rough because people really liked Red Nation, which I totally appreciated. And then like every day I'm going to email or like someone would advertise me on Twitter, like, when's the sequel coming out? <laughs> 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 and I was like, do you know how hard this is? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that, that does seem like a tough thing. Do, do, now for, for these books, did, did you feel like you had to, um, I know you had the deadlines because you had yeah. to, you know, you had to publish the book. Every single deadline on Deathless Divide. My editor was like, oh, so how's the book coming along? And I'm like, noodles. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, I, at one point, I was just sending back gifts. Like, like I was just like, LOL. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, like it's, 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 it's in progress. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I, like, I, I mean, I, I do feel like that's kind of a, it's, that's a kind of like, a deep breath things are right. You know, like every yeah. scene in there is a deep breath. I mean, even like you've got the, I mean, first of all, you, you got to deal with zombies and yeah. it's like, you know, I, I get it. Zombies are, they're not, you know, they're fictional as far as we know. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> so we're, we're, still has like four months left. So like, right. You know, I, I don't know. I'm gonna We don't know who's going to roll the, what people are going to roll the dice on the Jumanji board. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so you got zombies and then, and then, and then you implement, like, I knew it was real in the first book. Like I knew it was like, I mean, I knew it was real already, but I knew it was really real when that, uh, what is it? Professor, I think it was Gearing in the first book. Yeah. Comes in and, um. And he's like, yeah, so we got, you know, the, the black man and he's there, you know, he, they're more immune to the, to the, uh, the, the zombie play. And I'm like, oh God. Like that's the thing, right? So like, right. like, and I think that's, and that's why it was so hard to go like to the second book. So like my synopsis ended up like, you know, back to your actual rude question. Like, you know, I'm sorry. Like we went like all around the board there. No, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, like, it, like, that's why sometimes the synopsis just doesn't work because then you get into like breaking down the scenes and you get to breaking story and you're like, no, like this is, this is too easy for them. Like this, it wouldn't yeah. be this easy. And like, you have to make it harder for your characters. And that sucks because then it like, especially if they're characters you've already gone through a story with and you like, you know, have some like, like you, like you love them and you care about them. Um, then you realize like, okay, I have to make things hard for them. And then you're like but things are hard already. (laughs) But nobody wants to read a story where everyone's just like skipping through the meadow and having a good time. Right. Like that's like not compelling. Yeah, exactly. It has, it has to be difficult and it has to be emotionally difficult, even though that's, and it's so much to ask of a writer, you know, but it's like at the same time as a writer, you know, you've got to do it. You know, Um, it's so much to ask of a writer that, you know, like if you're, if we were to read this, you know, story about zombies and racism and, but nothing was heavy. Everybody got up everything easily. There was, you know, the racial injustice was easily evaded or, yeah. or whatnot. It's just not realistic. <laughs> and it's, so it's hard to, to ask the writer to say, Hey, you got to give us the real stuff because it's really hard on that writer. And then it's like, there, you have to be in the right state of mind to write those scenes. I mean, the, the, the scenes with, with Jane um, after the sheriff gets a hold of her. Um, I mean, that, that was, that was some hard stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And like, you have to, and that's the thing. It's like, you have to go through those scenes over and over again. Right. Like, yeah. so like, you just, you write them and then you have to come back through your second draft and go through them. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have to revise them. And then your editor gets hold of the book. And then you have to come back through it a couple more times. Like, and then like you go through copy edits and first pass pages. And so like, it's, it's just right. like, it's just like, oh my God. It's just like, <laughs> that's it's... why like, when people are like, I want to write a book. I'm like, you should. And I just kind of laugh because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it's my dream to write. I'm like, oh, you should do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, Feel my pain. <laughs> it, sucks. Yeah. it sucks, but you'll love it. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes, like, I before I was writing seriously, I, I remember, um, like, people saying, you know, I this is, I, 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 I hit that scene where it's my first time I wrote a scene, or I was hearing other people say this. Um, I wrote a scene, and um, I, you know, I cried or whatever after the scene, and I was thinking, I'm like, at the time, I was thinking, I was like, you're, I mean, I, I kind of get it, but I was like, you're just writing a story. You know, it's not real. It's, you know, it's whatever. But then, like, when I got to that point myself where I'm writing these heavy scenes, I'm just like, wow. Like, I, how can you not feel <laughs> when you're writing this? Like, it's, I don't know what I was thinking before when I was like, it's just a story. Because it's not. You know, I mean, it is, but it's not. It's it's like, it's, your, your, it's a piece of yourself in there, you know? A yeah, piece no, of, I... I think that's like, I think it's really, I always thought, like, I'm like you, whenever people used to be like, I wrote this scene to make myself cry. I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but now I'm at the point in my writing, like if I read a scene and I don't, like, I don't forget that I wrote it and like feel sad or feel like completely Mm -hmm. bereft, like, especially a sad scene, I realize I haven't done enough work there yet. And I have to mm-hmm. go back and like figure out the way to like, manipulate the senses and the language so that it feels sadder and heavy. Like, right. and like, that's, like, that's kind of, I think one of the things that like we don't realize as writers is like, you have to, you have to make the words good enough so that you forget you wrote the book and yep. it just feels like a book that somebody handed you. Um, right. And that's an incredibly difficult place to get to. I would say I didn't get that to that place until probably the last draft on dread nation mm-hmm. like that's probably the, la- the first time i felt that way by my own writing and i've written like you know a handful of books before that book mm-hmm. and so like it's just like i think it's like like writing is like you said earlier like it's one of those crafts where you you should always be trying to improve like mm-hmm. always trying to, and i think emotional resonance is the hardest thing to get to i think you can like you can make people sad like you can give people a sad situation like oh their puppy died that's sad but mm-hmm. to make the reader feel like it's their dog that died that's incredibly difficult. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's everything that surrounds it to, to, yep. to, to bring that, like, you know I mean, you know, the, the hypothetical dead dog uh, or dead puppy <laughs> or, <laughs> or what have you, you you've got to, you've got to like create the scene that makes that, you know, around the, the dog and around the person who lost the dog to kind of paint the picture of why it's, that impactful because if i just say oh this person's dog bad it's kind of like oh, okay all right well i mean sad but okay <laughs> you know but if but if you but if you give now but if you give them context to how this person got the dog oh i got the dog when it was just two weeks old and or i saw the dog born and, and the dog you know, was, was- <laughs> I got the dog after my mom left and she went to like rehab and like this dog was the only person who ever loved me right like and he was like yeah hey, yeah Dog, that's why the dog always dies in like the second act turn right and because mm-hmm. it can't die in the first act because you're like oh that was sad it's it's after that your characters have lived through some shit with the dog that you're like oh right. my god the dog is dying right oh shoot for her mother like, I, <laughs> I just thought about this but uh i think one of the best things that handled this was john wick uh, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. 
that was an incredible dying dog scene because holy crap, we only knew that dog for like not even 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> but we knew it was his dead wife, right? It was a right. of his wife who died. And we have like, if you, um, if you like reading scripts, because I like reading scripts because I think oh, yeah, absolutely. it's yeah. a great way to um, like, kind of like, show how to build a story very quickly. In, into the Spider-Verse. I read that yeah. script. And, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it. <laughs> um, but, like, the John Wick script actually starts with him in the hospital with his wife, and there's, like, a whole lead-in to, like, his wife dying. Like, you get, like, his wife dying on screens with that, and mm-hmm. then they filmed it. Obviously, there's, we just get those, those flashbacks instead. But it's it's so, I mean, I... I, my secret shame is I love everything Keanu Reeves does, even the bad stuff. Um, <laughs> like, 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 I'm, I'm I love that man's work. And I'm just like, a walk in the clouds is terrible. But every time I watch that movie, I'm like, oh! <laughs> the lake house makes no sense, but I watch it anyway. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. And so like, um, I think it's, it's really about like, you know, the, what he's bringing to the role as well. Like, when that dog dies, it's just like, mm. and like, you know, it's like off screen and like, you know, what bad things are happening. And he's just like, he that makes you believe that, that he feels about that dog. Um, but it's really hard on the page to do that because you don't have like Keanu Reeves to come in and like, <laughs> for you, right? like you're like, Oh, how do I convey this emotion? Little attachment mm-hmm. to this animal because it's a standing for his dead wife who he loves. The only woman he loved enough to give up his murderous ways. Right. Like, so right. Exactly. Like, and now he's back on the path of darkness. Right. Like, right. That's so, what, like, I, I thought it was such a simple, but, powerful tool i mean that duck, yeah. it was just I, I thought it was genius honestly also, to use that to bring him back into the bad, right like you immediately, immediately know someone's a villain if they kill a dog right, right? oh yeah it's yep. like it's the opposite of save the cat right it's like <laughs> kill the dog, kill the dog. <laughs> i like that i was gonna save the cat <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i guess that does that would immediately create a, like if you kill a dog that's you're heartless. Yeah. Like you're just <laughs> that dog didn't do nothing to you. Like right. come on, what's <laughs> wrong with you? Um, but but yeah, uh, bring bringing it back around to um, to, <laughs> to writing. To, no, no, I mean no, no it's fine. I mean this is this is this is all writing stuff. I mean these yeah. are these are elements that I think. I mean the dog. Uh, I'm telling you that dog in John Wick is a study. That is a study in writing. Like <laughs> and for those of you who like are here for like the MFA experience we call that an endowed object, right? And even though it's a dog, right? We have like this thing called, called an endowed object where it's mm-hmm. an object, it's something in the story that means so much more than what like the object is, right? right so right. It, it ties into like his wife's death and his like past and like him trying to go like, you know, be a, a caring person even though he's been an assassin in the past. Mm-hmm. So like, like we have like, like stories tend to have like these endowed objects. And I think it's like, it's one of those, that's like a master class in writing when you can make something seem on the surface, like just a simple, like, you know, it's a, it's a necklace my mom gave me. And then like, mm-hmm. by the end of the story, you realize like, it's so much more than that. Right, right. Yeah. Like, like, the, like the penny, like James yeah, penny. Like the penny. <laughs> You're just like, oh, okay. I guess she has this lucky penny. And it's really like, it's that, that's that tie to her, her her aunt aggie who's just like the caring mm. adult in her life who was the person but who's there for her so right. it's so much more than just like a silly like like you know talesman or token right right and, and so in creating so let's talk about character a little bit because like uh like i i thought i think all the characters in in uh, dread nation and deathless divide are are excellently written um that i i they're they're all complex 
and in their own way even even the characters that are are like i guess you would consider like side characters or not the main characters or whatever or supporting characters mm-hmm. um i i think that they all have their something about them that represents something about the story i mean i very i i, I kind of felt like sue for example even though she's supporting felt uh represented almost not quite the opposite of jane but a an aspect like like kind of like the other thing that jane kind of couldn't fully grasp you know what i mean at least at the beginning of the book i think she was starting to grasp it uh well no no actually no she i think maybe it is closer to the opposite (laughs) (laughs) she kind of because to me to me jane kind of figured out the kind of person that she was as, as she went through all these horrible zombie, this horrible zombie life. Uh, and, and, and she realized like when she, like at the, the sorry, sorry, spoilers for anybody who hasn't read, <laughs> but near the end when she realizes that, no, I can't stay here. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a, like I'm a traveler kind of, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, versus Sue, who is the, um, who is kind of like, I, you know, I need to settle down kind of thing, despite this life of, uh, crazy zombiness that we went through. Um, so yeah, I, I like I like I like characters like that. But then when we get into the main characters like Jane and Catherine themselves, I like like I said before, I, uh, Catherine at first, I was like when I first first met Catherine, I was like I do not like her because <laughs> she seems like like she's here to uh, to be anti Jane. And again, they're rivals at the beginning. Yeah. So it's like she, she she seems like she's here to be anti Jane. She seemed a little bit, um, uh, what, what's the word? Uh, not vain, but um, materialistic. Shallow. Yeah, she's, she's shallow, she's materialistic. She looks like, she seems like the person who's going to like rat you out to the. Right, <laughs> the exactly. Right? Like, she's like, she's um, going to tell on you and it's going to be awful. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but then throughout the story, um, especially with the corset, that was excellent because <laughs> throughout the story, when you first meet her and you had the first interaction with her with the corset, I'm like, why is why why is this girl wearing this corset? <laughs> she running, <laughs> and Jane keeps admonishing her for it, and, and you know, and I'm just I'm just like, why? But then, as the story goes, it's explained what the corset represents to her, you know, and I was like, wow, okay, that that is a an extra layer to this character. You know what I mean? Not to mention her being uh, essentially, I, I don't want to, I don't want to misread the term. I believe the term is ace, but um, yeah. basically not being, uh, having no romantic uh, desire one way or another. Um, I, I think it's, I think that's the term. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Someone <laughs> will find you and correct you. But right, yeah. right. But yeah, basically having no uh, romantic inclination or or what, or what have you so that was a that was another powerful part of the character and, and, and a different form of of uh diversity inclusion intersectionalism that most people don't hit on in most books i mean most people most books are just like oh yeah everybody falls in love with somebody yeah. <laughs> so this is this that so that was that was a little bit different so getting getting kind of these these complex pictures of these characters i'm, I'm wondering um were were these characters kind of built uh as you went uh, or did you kind of have uh or you knew from the beginning this is the structure that they're going to go to and then what we're going to find out about them i so like when i first wrote dread nation i will say Catherine was only there as a foil to jane 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Jane was just like my stand in for Huck Finn. She was the character <laughs> who was going to have an adventure and she was going to like have her worldview shaken a little bit, but not too much. And she was going to be the person who seemed to tell it like it is, but she's a liar. So like, what are you going to do? And I will say like, this is why revision is so, so important because probably the second or third draft I was reading through and I was like, you know, I really hate this. I hate girl hate. Um, which is a thing that seems to have infected YA. Um, and it's because most YA are romances, so you have to have the romantic rival. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I don't know. And like, and if you read my like first couple books, like they both have girl hate. Um, and like, it was just like when I was writing this book, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think it's important as a, as a creator to understand, like, even though you're writing in a specific area or genre or category, you can decide not to do those things that people identify as making your book, whatever that category is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for YA, we have a lot of girl hate and we have a lot of romance and I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I, I'm personally, I don't think I'm good at writing romance. I have friends who are really good at writing romance. I am not good at writing romance because I'm not really romantic. I'm like, like I can watch a love story. And I'm like, Oh, that's sweet. But I never really believe it. Like, <laughs> I like, that's nice he's gonna be back on his bullshit in a week (laughs) and so like i think for me it always came through but one of the things i do believe in is friendship and so this is what where i talked about before about the building those relationships is so important Mm -hmm. and i think when you start building those relationships with characters as characters learn more about one another you get deeper more realistic people i think um i also think it's really important for authors to know what every single character's arc is, even if it doesn't show up in the story in its entirety. So I knew from the, like from, from the first book that Sue was going to be like the girl who's just like, I'm here and I'm doing this because I have to, but at the end of the day, I just want to like go and have a nice little farm and like marry someone and have babies. Like that's what I want to do. And I think, you know, especially in YA, especially um, in the, the age of feminism, we tend to be dismissive about that. Um, but I think feminism is about letting everyone do the thing that fulfills them as a human being right, and, right, right. you know, regardless of, of gender. And I, I think it was important to have a character who that was what she wanted. She wanted to do that thing that maybe Jane wouldn't understand it, but she's her friend. So she supports it. And that was really where it came down to is like, by the time I got through like the, the second or third draft on Dread Nation, I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't a romance. This isn't, you know, it's, it's about how, especially black women, come together to to survive terrible situations um women in general but most especially black women because i think when you're a black woman you have that extra layer of racism you don't just have the misogyny you have the racism as well and so like you're dealing with it sometimes on all sides and the only other people who are going to understand it as much as you do are people who are going through it with you and so i think that's like that's an important thing with characters it's just not just the character. Like you can do a 50 question character sheet about what kind of pudding your character likes, but right. if you don't know how they interact with other people, they're always going to feel a little flat. And those, right. those interactions is where we build character. It's where we see people come to life. It's where we, we feel like this is a real person and not just like another talking head on, on the page. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably one of the most important things right there. And one of the things I know I was missing it at the beginning because, like you said, I would write down their zodiac sign and what they're, <laughs> you know, it's like all these things. It's kind of like, okay, that's cool, but, but and I would have like one line that said, "Oh, this is their sister, and they they love them, but they get on their yeah. nerves," <laughs> you know, and that, and that would be like all I wrote right there. And then when I get to the story, I'm like, how do they? How does this? character and their sister interact like how do I you know what I mean um and I had to learn over time and I'm still learning like how to get better at, at those interactions I think the thing I, I never put it on the pedestal where it should have been um these these character interactions with one another and um but I, I see it a lot and man the relationship between Jane and, and Catherine is I mean that's powerful stuff and they, they, they fight I mean they hate each other at the beginning and then they fight you know, uh, or and then become friends, and then they fight, and they be, and then they come back to each other anyways. You know, Jane says some mean things. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and then their personalities, defining their personalities and who they are, um, powerful in their own ways. Like Catherine, passive in some ways, but then there, she has like a breaking limit where she's like, you know, Miss McKean or Jane McKean. You know, she, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then Jane's like, oh, now I'm about to get it. You know, like. <laughs> It's like those situations are they're the kind of things that just like make make you smile in the story because like you get, like you know that they're friends but they go they're going through these these ups and downs. Um, so with the you know at the at the very end when when they go off together, it's you know it's that much more uh, uh, rewarding. You know, <laughs> um, something I was wondering about uh, or, or not not wondering but something I wanted to comment on that I thought also was very powerful is so I've. I highly, highly, highly respect uh, Black women's perspective in writing these stories because you just, there's certain things that you just don't get from other writers. I'm not throwing shade on any other writers who are not Black women. <laughs> but there are certain <laughs> things, there are certain things in there that are just powerful, um, like certain intersections that just, it's just it's just experience and perspective, at least in my opinion, because I I haven't read stuff like this in other books. One of the things was Catherine's, and I, I don't know if this was, I, I'm sure it's something that you uh, wrote in second or third draft, or you came across later, or or what have you. But as you're writing this, Catherine's um, dealing with being so beautiful from that perspective was like a huge head turn for me. I was like, whoa. Like, like when she breaks down crying, talking to Jane, saying like, do you know what it's like to, to look like this and not want that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like, I think that's one of the, like, you know, it's one of the missing elements when people talk about street harassment, mm-hmm. like how it starts to warp your own self-worth and mm-hmm. how it starts to like really kind of, um, it makes you fearful, right? It makes you, it mm-hmm. makes you like, I can't just, um, you know, walk down the street um, and, and like be fine, like just be myself and just like not have to like think about, you know, the gaze of, of people upon me. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, especially when, especially I think for women of color, there's, an extra degree of entitlement to our bodies and ourselves that, you know, other people don't necessarily face. And so I do think it's um, really, 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 really uh, important to, to understand that 
that isn't a perspective you're necessarily going to get from a man writing a book. Right. right, right. Uh, because they haven't lived through that. And I like, I know like people were like, well, I can write about things I haven't lived through. I haven't lived through aliens. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but no one's going to come and tell you, well, you wrote these aliens wrong. Cause I did live through it. Right. Like, <laughs> I was abducted back I was in. Abducted. <laughs> it was not like this. Um, but like, you know, black women like are real and they exist. And so like, when you do write those stories, you know, mm-hmm. you have to understand, um, it's, I always use um, an analogy of creme brulee because I love creme brulee. And it's like, <laughs> you know, if you don't know what creme brulee is, it's like basically just a fancy pudding. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you've ever had creme brulee at like a, like a French restaurant compared to creme brulee at like whatever, like your local like pizza joint or diner is, <laughs> it's a completely different experience. And like, imagine like creme brulee prepared for you by like a master French chef compared to like, you found a recipe online and made it like (laughs) your sugar is a little burn and your eggs are a little lumpy, but it tastes mostly like creme brulee. And that's the, that's the difference between authenticity and like that authenticity layer in a story. You know, that's why when like we talk about the depiction of people of color in stories, I, I still think it's, it's hugely important to have um, our own stories by our our own selves and I know like that's not that's become like such a fraught idea. Um, but there is there is something about living through an experience and the uniqueness of living through an experience that you just you just can't replicate on the page, no matter how good of a writer you are. Exactly. Um, it's yep. why it's, it's why it's why it's so important that our writers' rooms for our TV shows and movies are diverse, right? Yes. Because like, otherwise you're gonna you're always gonna make those missteps because you don't know because you haven't lived, you know, steeped in that. Um, mm-hmm. and you then know, you don't have anybody in the room to check you and say, Hey, you may want to relook at this scene. Right. Like you see all the time Southerners will go off about New Yorkers writing Southern people, and that's valid. But then they, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, sometimes they're the same people who can't understand why, you know, as a white person, they can't write a black person. <laughs> so it's right. like, yeah. it's the same it's... thing. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't care how many summers you spent in Savannah. Like, you're not, you're going to be, know, you need, you need people, you need people there to, to, to help you with that experience. That's why, that's why I respect, um, Lindelof. White is, I don't know what. Yeah. Um, but he, he said, I want to talk about Tulsa. But I know I'm not the person to do. I'm the showrunner of the show, but I'm not the person to yeah. to give the authenticity. So he went out and found women and people of color for that writers' room, and I I I, I mean, Matt props him for for doing that because that's that's rare. It's rare that somebody do the go the extra step, the extra mile, do the extra work, make the show delayed an extra you know however long yeah. to find the right people to to do it. Um, versus uh, with this, this guy's kind of a decent writer. So let's just bring him on. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I think you see it. I think, I think, I think, I hope people, especially now that we've had a time to like take like a strategic pause, mm-hmm. see how important that authenticity is and see how it, how it gives you a better, a better story at the end. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, if you want to write a story, that's just not your story to tell. Just don't. Like there are a lot of stories out there, right? <laughs> like, there's a million other stories you could tell. Like you don't have to tell that one that you're like, well, if I make them black, that'll be upsetting, right? <laughs> talk about racism from a white person's perspective because, like, mm-hmm. we don't have enough books that do that, right? And not about the from a white person's perspective of like, I felt sad and Pa told me to go inside, thanks to Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, like, 
like, okay, shit, I'm racist and mm-hmm. racism is a thing. So how do I fix this? How do I change? Oh, look, I really upset all the people around me because I did it wrong. Okay, let me learn from these missteps. Like, we don't have those mm-hmm. all those right. things. Because what we do is basically, you know, we get the books where the white person feels bad about racism and then the end. And mm-hmm. so like, I don't like, I don't think, I don't think you have to, to write other people's stories to tell something that's compelling. I think you can be the secondary character in somebody else's story and tell that story. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And uh, uh, extra layers to this thing. Uh, the, 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 these stories that you wrote, uh, especially concerning, Catherine and and Jane are um, the the color the colorism that was that was really powerful. Again, so you have the you have the colorism aspect um, plus the, the the beauty aspect versus you know if uh, even Jane to some extent she's looking at Catherine a certain way because of her corset and stuff like that and the kind of clothes yeah. she wears. Um, at least if she, I mean, and I think Jane understands as the story goes on later on, uh, especially after that major conversation they had in the near the end of the first book. Um, but yeah, you, you get you get those aspects, and then you get, um, then you get Catherine upset. You know, she feels some kind of way that Jane has. She understands why she did it, of course. But you know, basically said, "Oh no, she's white." You know, to try to help her. Yeah. Um, when, when they got to um, what was that town? <laughs> when they got to the yeah. west. Summerland, yeah. <laughs> Summerland. There we go. Summerland. My bad. My, these names. Oh, no, no, okay. <laughs> Uh, names slip my mind sometimes, but yeah, when when he gets to Summerland and and she, uh, yeah, she she feels some kind of way. She like she understands, but she feels some kind of way. Like these are things, all of the intric- intricacies of this situation, the colorism, the being a woman, general in general, being a black woman, uh, again colorism again because light skinned black women yeah. uh, versus dark skinned black women versus men just ogling me. <laughs> um like this is just like i'm i'm reading this and i'm like a guy couldn't i couldn't have written this you know i i, I couldn't at least not to this with this i don't have this experience you know i would have had to like be having like long recorded conversations with like, <laughs> like dozens of black women <laughs> of different you know what i mean like yeah. I, could, I i just couldn't have uh written it in that way um and that's what makes me like when i when i read stuff like that i'm like man I and I've been on, I've been on a kick. Uh, I mean, of, of reading black women stuff lately, just because I, I realized in the past, like, wow, I I have done myself a disservice by not reading more more work by black. Octavia Butler a few years back um, wasn't the first book by a black woman I read, but like that was like what kind of reopened my eyes. Like, wow, what have you been doing, dog? <laughs> you know, uh, that I just kind of like started going, and I, and, I, and I noticed this this trend that. They're in black women's books, and, it's, and they're all different, all different stories, all completely different writing styles. But there's just aspects that other stories just don't hit. And the character doesn't. The main character, even if it's a black woman, right? The main character doesn't even have to be black. Sometimes, sometimes it's just certain aspects that 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 exp- the experience. I think, at least from what I've read, informs that that um, helps to write these powerful characters. Um, Jane is as badass as she is she has all of these emotions and she deals with it and like she and I, what i mean by deals with that i mean like she doesn't just brush it off like yeah i'm just a strong black woman like she deals with it like <laughs> yeah, a person no, would deal with it you know <laughs> and there's so many other stories where i don't i don't see that um or it's not balanced well because you get the 
the the the uh, extreme of a of a black woman or any any woman uh, being I'm dealing with this because I'm tough, or you get the other the complete other extreme where it is oh I just can't deal with anything and blah blah and that's yeah. just not real that's not real to me. But in this stories like this, it's real like the stuff that Jane deals with. It's so like she becomes a bounty hunter and stuff like that. She's like a cold blooded killer or whatever, at least on the <laughs> surface in the newspapers and in the stories. But like, there's a lot more underneath that surface. Surface. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm going on a diatribe about why I like this, but <laughs> but, but in any case, uh, I guess I guess <laughs> my, my my question, I guess to 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 put a question to all of that is, uh, uh, I guess specifically for Jane is uh, how was it was it like was that a very organic thing to come by uh or was it something that that took a lot of uh working through because i mean i really that's that was the biggest thing that really hit me about is how well written these characters are from a full perspective like a full person perspective like i don't know if that makes any sense no no yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't realize like they yeah i think i think part of our flaw as human beings is we tend not to want to talk about the entire person just Mm -hmm. like a person dies and they don't talk we don't talk about like oh they're also a terrible person like it's just like well they did all these great things it's like also you know like they left their wife and kids like like we don't talk about that kind of stuff right like (laughs) like we like we just like you know and like if you like if you want to see where that's most obvious look at history Right. Mm-hmm. We talk about like George Washington was like, ah, he was, you know, the first president and he owned a lot of people. You're right. right? Like, and right. we don't, we don't like, like, there's like a, like a caveat, an asterisk about around our history, our historical figures. And so I think that's the hardest thing as a writer is to realize, even if you're writing a character who's your protagonist, who's, who's like, you know, extremely likable, they have to have flaws. They have to be mm-hmm. deeply flawed. We are all deeply flawed. Um, and like, we all know that we're deeply flawed. We all pretend like we aren't, but like, we all know that we're <laughs> flawed. And that's part of the human experience is like seeing those flaws, recognizing them and either ignoring them and pretending like they're strengths or, you know, dealing with them, you know, privately or publicly or however we do that. And I think that's, that's really where you get characterization is, okay, I'm going to give this character these strengths and these flaws. How are they going to deal with these flaws, right? What happens when a strength becomes a flaw? Like we see that in, you know, maybe like, you know, especially uh, Winter Soldier with, you know, with our Civil War um, where, you know, Captain America, his loyalty becomes a flaw because he's like, I am so dedicated to this friend of mine. And then meanwhile, like everyone's like, he blew up the, what do you think? He blew Mm -hmm. up like the, you know, the, the king of wakanda like what this, this is your <laughs> like, like what the hell man like and so like i think like i think that's where you have to go with characters is you have to you have to recognize what their flaws are you have to recognize what their strengths are i think that's the value of having multiple drafts i think in your first draft you might have one or two flaws and you might like throw them out there as like a throwaway thing mm-hmm. um but it's when you go back and you revise and you you get into those those conversations and those interactions those those relationships that you realize how their flaws you know balance out their strengths and also sometimes hinder their strengths mm-hmm. and i think that's where you get realistic people because 
Um, we have all been in a situation where we made a decision that we knew was the wrong decision. <laughs> we did it anyway because we like were driven by something. Right. And I think like especially in the second book, you know, Jean has kind of had, you know, in a lot of ways in the first book even, um, Catherine's kind of a limiter for Jane. Like she she's like that barrier for her to like bounce up against. And mm-hmm. so when they're separated in the second book, like Jane kind of goes off the rails because it's like she's all these flaws that she's like, I know about, she's like, well, what if I just give into them? Like, what if I just decide this is what I want to do? Mm-hmm. And so that's when you, and like, to me, that's always the difference between a villain and a hero is that lack of restraint. It's like, like yeah. we have, we constrain our heroes, right. By, by either a, a code or a sense of honor or like, you know, something And um, villains are not constrained, right. They're not constrained with that same thing. And so a good right. villain it's going to seem like they have an honor code or like some sort of like constraints, but they don't. And I think that's, that's really like when you're, when you're writing fully fleshed out characters on the page, we have to see them make those bad decisions and like learn from those bad decisions and not a didactic kind of way. Like not in like a, this is what happens if you drink, like, <laughs> <laughs> like in a very much like realistic way, like how we all learn from our, our mistakes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think that the, the the concept of 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 a barrier, like like you said with Catherine, um, that's an excellent writing co- or, or a, a tool to kind of put in your, <laughs> you know, to kind of put in your tool bag for writing. You know, um, I don't. I'm not sure if there's an official term behind that, uh, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, usually it's like it's a foil, but a foil tends to be like a villain. But like mm-hmm. you really, yeah, you really want to make sure that you have. And this is why it's so it's um, it's so difficult to sometimes get like satisfying reads because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times, especially newer authors, um, and you can see it a lot when you read debut books, they want to have their hero and they want to give them just like one or two people to like bounce off of um, mm-hmm. because then like it's easier to, not to write too many characters in the page. Um, mm-hmm. But you really need to have like your char- your character needs to have relationships with not just their peers, but then you have relationships with like the people who like they look up to and like the people they don't like and like the people who like, you know, like force them to be better. And I think that's sometimes, you know, sometimes that can be like a number, you can have one character who fulfills many roles, Mm -hmm. but I, I dislike when we isolate characters and you're like, well, now my hero is going off. Right. That's like the, the legacy of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. It's like, my hero is going off and he's going to go be amazing. And all these people are going to just support him. And it's like, (laughs) well, no, no. Like your hero has to like realize that those people have their own stories as well. And so like, maybe they're not going to like, like maybe they don't want to go along this journey. Maybe they got pulled in. Right. And they like, Mm -hmm. now they're stuck and they're, they're bitter about it. Um, And how does your hero going to deal with that? Like, you know, their bitter sidekick. Like, like, that's like that. I mean, can you imagine if Robin was like, I don't want to be Robin. And Batman's like, well, you got the suit on. And we're going out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop complaining and go punch some people. And he's like, oh, right. Like, <laughs> it's a whole different storytelling, right? That's a whole different story. It makes, it gives us an idea of like who Batman is. It gives us an idea of who Robin is, right? Mm-hmm. And it gives us complexity that we don't necessarily always get from our storytelling. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, and I love that you did the, the two perspectives in the book two um, in Deathless Divide. Uh, cause I mean, I was already liking Catherine by the end of the first book, but like you, I, I, I like Catherine a whole lot <laughs> in, the, in the second book where you get, when you get her kind of, she, you get her journey too. So that was, that was, yeah, that was a whole lot of fun. I, I, I really liked 
I really like both of these stories. The the last question, and I'm gonna wrap it up in a second here. Um, last question I had was, I'm just curious. This is this is just me indulging. <laughs> uh, I was wondering about Catherine's mom, uh, not Catherine's mom. Um, sorry, Jane's mom. Yeah. Uh, was it so in the first book? She is writing these letters that don't get there and that she's not receiving it initially. And, you know, it's this, it's this huge thing about, I love my mom, I want to get back to my mom. And, and she does love her mom. It's not like she doesn't. Yeah. But um, it feels like it shifts somewhat. The focus shifts somewhat as the story goes on between the, the, the books. And um, it becomes less about her. Like, I, I think she had her mom on a pedestal at the beginning of the first book, like a really high, you know, like person I look up to most kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, and then, it, and then it shifts, and um, I know Auntie Aggie was always always there. You know what I mean? Uh, and she was always a you know like the person who raised her. Um, but then there's introduced the thing about the uh, the, the the bathtub incident when she was little. Um, so I was wondering if that was if her mom uh, shifting slightly uh, was that a change that was made throughout the story, uh, or, or at some point. I don't want to say between the, I don't know if it was between the books, but, but throughout the story where it was, it was supposed to be a picture of her mom being a certain way, but you purposely shifted it to where um, by the time she meets her mom again, there's like a whole different kind of a feeling, you know? Um, yeah. Like, like I think part of growing up is realizing your parents are people and they yeah. also are like not perfect. And that's sometimes, <laughs> you, sometimes the things you remember are not, the things that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like memory is so fallible. Like we are like, we are just imperfect memory machines and we think we mem- remember things we don't. And so I think uh, a large part of that is, is Jane wants to have remembered that her life on Rose Hill plantation was better than it was because her current life is so terrible. And uh, I think yeah. that's one of the things like, like that, you know, if it doesn't come through, that's just my failure as a writer, but like that trajectory where you get more information about her mother and you're like, Holy crap. Her mom tried to drown her. Like what? And like, we're supposed to think like, you know, maybe it's cause her mom was passing and like, these are all spoilers by the way. So if you haven't read the books, <laughs> like, YOLO. Um, <laughs> um, but like, if like, if you, uh, like, you know, you're supposed to think like it's cause she's passing and everything else. But by the time Jane gets to the end of that second book, She's gone through all of this stuff with, with Catherine, who's also like in that situation where she's like passed and like, she's had to be strong and she's lived through all of these up and downs in her own life that so she's able to see her mom for who she truly is. And I think that is a thing that happens that it's so, so, so fundamental to being a teenager. It happens the first time you go away from home and you come back and you're just like, holy crap. None of this was how I remembered it. It happened, I, I went, um, when I was 19, I went and joined the army, and then I came back, like, the first time, like, after basic training, and, like, like you know, hang out with my friends, and, like, I'm back home, and it just didn't fit. It just, right. like, I had changed, I had gone through, like, these, like, you know, these, like, it's all of, like, you know, three months or whatever of just, like, pure hell, but my friends had just been, like, through a semester of college, right? So, like, they right, were still, right. like, <laughs> the same stuff that, that, we, that they were doing when I left, and I had like changed as a person 
And like, it was, it was strange. And like, you know, like, and also like, I'd been gone from my family dynamic long enough, but you, like, I came back as almost like a stranger. And so like, for some people, I think you can fall back into those old patterns and like, it's not a big deal. But for me, I felt like, holy crap, all this was here before. I just didn't, couldn't see it. Right. I just didn't Mm -hmm. want to see it or I didn't see it or whatever the answer was. And I think that's, that's such a tremendous part of growing up. That's right. like to be able to look at things with new perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's such a tremendous part of writing and learning how to be a writer is to realize that the things you thought were like not important in the beginning of your writing journey are like become more important as you go along. And I think like we should always be growing as people. I think we should always be able to look at situations and say like, okay, maybe Maybe I didn't do that the right thing that happened five years ago. And not like with a regret, like not like living the past, like I'm never going to move forward, but like, <laughs> but like learning from it and saying, you know what, that, that didn't go the way I wanted it to, to. And like, I probably played some role in that, but it's okay because I'll make better decisions next time. And so for Jane, a lot of it's like, she's changed as a person. She's not the same character as she is when you open up, you know, Dread Nation. Um, and I think that's important. I think characters should change and grow throughout a story. I am immensely bored by by characters who are like the same character in every. Oh book. yeah, there's there's, yeah. there's no story. If, if the character is the same, there's they, you literally have no story. It's like what was the point? <laughs> Especially like when it's like a book series and you're like the sixth book in, you're like they're still doing the same stupid shit they did in book four. Yeah, that that's one. That is one of it's the no mistakes. <laughs> If, if there's anything that's attached to me the most in, in my journey is learning how to write well, it's it's that there is a need for change. Even if I am writing, I just wrote a five-page comic script, just five pages. Yeah. And when, as I was writing this, I was like, this character has to change in these five pages. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a small change, you know. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I figured it out. She did change. She uh, she went in thinking that she was going to do something. Something happened. And then she literally flipped to the other side. And she kind of had no choice. I mean, yeah. the situation kind of left no choice. But <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, even in that short five pages, this character changed. Uh, changed her mindset. Changed the, uh, you know, uh, decided something different than she was int- intending to begin with or, or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that that's such an important aspect of writing because you, it's, it's the charge. That's what I, that's what I call it. I yeah, call it the, the negative and positive charge. I don't know if that's an official term either. I heard it on some podcast or something, but, <laughs> but the negative and positive charge, like if something is, somebody is one way at the beginning of the scene or a book or a part of a book, uh, a uh, section, they need to be different uh by the end of that uh, in some way (laughs) but yeah yeah i think i honestly i think you like the character writing the character relationships i those are my favorite aspects of dread nation which is funny because people are like but it's zombies it's like oh zombies killing zombies are cool but yeah (laughs) people are like i don't like zombie books i'm like oh there's not a lot of zombies in this book Mostly feelings. Um, yeah, no, I, but like, I think that's also like, you know, you talk about comics. I think that's one of the places um, creative owned comics really shine is about that change. I think, you know, you tend to, if you read a lot of like, well, when people are like, I don't like comics, it's because they've read like DC or Marvel where the character mm-hmm. has to be the same, right? And it going in and going out because they're kind of like, they're less like a, a fully fleshed out human being and they're more just like a, like a, like a, a character type, right? An archetype. Right. And so I do think that's one of the things, you know, you're talking about comics. 
I do think that's where like a lot of our, these independent comics shine because you they those characters those creators are taking changes and those characters are changing. Um, if you I don't know if you read Saga, but Saga like oh, all of those characters <laughs> change, right? It's 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 so fantastic, and it took me probably until like um, I was buying the issues, the floppies, and then I had to finally like my husband was like there are so many comics in this house. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll move, I'll move to the trade. <laughs> I'm going to still read them, but I'm going to like, I'll just like, you know, I'll make less paper mess. Um, but like, um, but like, so like one of the things that like you see is like how those characters change and especially how like the characters like grow up. And like, even though they're adults when this comic starts, they grow up through having a child and through being parents. And I think that's like, one of the things that's like so compelling about that is like, yeah, people die and like people, you know, people change, but no one is the same from the first time they appear to like whatever their last scene is in the comic. Mm -hmm. And I think we tend to like, we tend to think like Superman's always Superman, right? Like he might go through some trials and tribulations, but at the end of the day, he's still the same Superman that we began with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, especially um, people who read a lot of comics when they start to write prose or start to write comics, that's the piece that's always missing is that, 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 that growth and that change. And like, like you said, the the positive negative charge, which is also like Mm -hmm. one of the things I like, if you're going to enter a scene with a character angry um, then like they shouldn't be angry by the end of the scene. They should they should have a different emotion. And right. Exactly. But yeah, like, like I I just yeah I, I completely agree. I just I don't know. Like I feel like I feel like characters sometimes get sa- sacrificed in the name of plot. But I think the stories mm-hmm. that I remember remember that are compelling, the characters were compelling as well. Not just right. The exactly. You don't you don't want to write, uh, which is a problem with Marvel <laughs> and DC also, especially in events, especially yeah. their events. Um, is uh, when characters are written differently. If that, if that's the biggest complaint I, I, I see in the comic world about big, you know, Marvel or DC events is that the characters are written out of character for the sake of the plot. Yeah. Um, in, in Civil War II, for example, yeah. uh, Carol Danvers <laughs> was written way out of character for the sake of the plot. And it was just, it, it, was, it was jarring because it's like, that's not at all how she is. <laughs> earned either right like i just right. like, I feel like that's the other thing is like if your character is going to change that drastically there has to be either like something to force them in that role or mm-hmm. it has to be earned like there has to be those small breadcrumb moments before that big change so that mm-hmm. it so it doesn't feel jarring to reader yeah like i i haven't like i will be honest like i used to be like very like um very dedicated both DC and Marvel reader. And I'm not anymore. I spend a lot more time mm-hmm. like reading the, the creator owned comics. Yeah, Cause like, the indies are so good. Like, so good. And I'm just like, I don't like, I don't, I don't miss X-Men necessarily because I have like, you know, f- other creators who are doing things that are like way more like, you know, mm-hmm. groundbreaking. And I like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like the difference between like, Really, so the difference between going to like a local burger place and McDonald's, right? Like mm-hmm. McDonald's is going to satisfy you, but at the end of the day, you're like, oh, it was just McDonald's. You go to a local burger place, and you're gonna be like, oh my god, that was an amazing burger. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly like I want to marry this burger, right? <laughs> and so, like, I just think I think it's like it's it's fine if you're in the mood for McDonald's, and dude, go to McDonald's. But I will right. always be like at like the local like Clark Clark Burgers, my mm-hmm. favorite we have in baltimore and, and that and if you look at the if you look at the marvel and dc books that do better it's it, like the team books are they're always going to be the team books but the end of it like when you're when they focus in on one character like just she hulk or just hawkeye or just uh whoever it, it, you know um those stories especially now because they've leveled up over time mm-hmm. uh, i will say as of like the t- 
what the two thousands or whatever, uh, the the turn of the millennium. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that none of them were good beforehand because there there are some gems yeah. in there. But the the single character books have become more because people got bored with the same old. I'm gonna stop a robber at some place and fight some yeah. villain that shows up randomly. Like <laughs> the books are now very much focused on like the like what these characters are going through and who they are and how they change with these situations so superman surprised me in 2016 he dealt with it wasn't even about him it was about his son jonathan yeah. kent and i was like wow this is the first time i actually cared about superman like <laughs> <laughs> you know um so i just but if you look at those writers those same writers that are writing these the Marvel and DC books that make you kind of tilt your head and like, wow, I never looked at Loki like that. Or wow, Kamala Khan's really cool. Uh, yeah. Shout out to G. Willow Wilson. Like you look at stuff like that. And then you look at their creator owned books. And then it's like even that much level, more yeah. leveled up. <laughs> yeah, like their, their indies are. Yeah. <laughs> even better. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but yeah, man, we, we've, we, we, we've, we've gone around the, around the map with this. <laughs> yeah. I told you I was a long talker. Like <laughs> No, it's great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> like I I th- these are the kind of like this is like the reason why I do this podcast because these co- these conversations end up being great. We talk about a lot of things, uh comics, movies, you know, books, whatever. Like it's it's like all, and it's all story centric. That's that's what I love about it. When I when I first intro this podcast, I um I was like, you know, whether whether you want to write scripts, whether you want to write comics, whether you want to write novels, like this is all about at the end of the day it's about story. Yeah, there's different skills that are applied to each of these, you know, different uh, mediums, but um, at the end of the day, if you know story, then you can write them, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I, and I think a lot of the concepts we talked about today, talk, you know, character, um, you know, character relationships, how they interact with one another. Uh, the, the, what, what was the, what was the MFA term that I, that I missed out on? The, the endowed, endowed object. The endowed, endowed object. object. There yeah. we go. <laughs> the, uh, like the dog or the penny, uh, the dog and John Wick or the penny yeah. in, in, uh, in Dread Nation, uh, slash Deathless Divide. Like, like stuff like that plus the um um plus uh, oh just experience like the experience in writing like I, I i beg i beg of you if you are not of a background of whatever it is and you just feel compelled to write this thing at least do like Dale, david lindelof did yeah. and go find people <laughs> find somebody else to write it you know like just something yeah right 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 um but yeah i mean again we like this has been an awesome conversation i i'm Super happy you came on. Um, highly appreciate you uh, taking some time on uh, on Saturday to to chat this up a little bit. <laughs> hey, I had fun. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Can you can you tell people where they can find you at um, online, where they can find your books, etc. Sure, easy enough. Um, on Twitter as Justina Ireland, no periods or anything else, just first and last name squished together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find my website justinaireland.com. Um, that's probably the best place to figure out like what's happening next. I also have a link on my website or you can subscribe to my newsletter. I don't spam you. It's like every other month because <laughs> everyone's important. Everyone's busy and nobody needs like a <laughs> weekly newsletter from me because my life is not that interesting. Um, but yeah, like it's like I mostly on Twitter and I don't really do, I don't do Facebook or Instagram because I'm just Twitter is good enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I got you. I, I, I got you. Um, and of course, uh, you can find me and the podcast at Fourth Wall. That is I V W A L L on Twitter. Um, you can 
uh, search beyond the fourth wall of writing to find the podcast. It's on all major podcasting uh, hosting services, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. Um, also, of course, usually you can find my comic Scorpio at ScorpioComic.com. It's also on fourthwall.net. If you happen to be there, uh, you'll see it floating around. Um, but yeah that's all the time we have again justina thank you for coming on oh thank you so much for having me it was great yeah well and we'll catch we'll catch you guys next time peace out